I'm Dale Mason, publisher of Answers Magazine, and this is Creation Answers, a podcast of Answers in Genesis, featuring highlights from the award-winning Answers Magazine. In this episode, we'll explore what all the fuss is about when it comes to the days of creation. It doesn't take long to realize that the Bible is actually very clear on this important subject. Just consider what Hebrew language experts wrote in this article entitled, 24 Hours Plain as Day. In 1983, as a junior, I walked into the University of Georgia's religion building, terrified. The professor was an expert in Hebrew from Yale University. I had been a Christian for only two years, and I wanted to learn that language. I knew that the religion department doubted the authorship of Old Testament books. For them, the myth, Enuma Elish, was more important for understanding Genesis than was Moses, Paul, or Jesus. Most of them believed that evolution disproved Christianity once and for all. Jesus was just a man, and the Bible was a book like any other book, written only by man and full of errors. I knew at the core of this secular approach to Bible study was the axiom that human reason is supreme. They believed that scholars are over rather than under God's Word. So I anxiously wondered how studying Hebrew in a secular setting might help or hurt my faith. The Bible, however, has an intrinsic, self-authenticating power, a power even skeptics cannot destroy. In spite of skeptical attacks, the Hebrew language has remained a passion of my life for almost 30 years. I focused my doctoral work in England on the New Testament use of the Old Testament, and my continuous study of Hebrew since then has reaffirmed the supernatural nature of God's Word and its truth at every point. I teach at a Christian college that hosts a conference every year on a contemporary hot topic. Last year, the school decided to host one on the proper reading of Genesis chapters 1 and 2. The goal was to gather all the major evangelical scholars for a two-day conference and let them present their cases for different ways to read the first two chapters of Genesis. The school stumbled on a serious problem. We could not find a nationally recognized Old Testament scholar who held the traditional view that the world was created in six 24-hour days. During my search, I even went to the National Evangelical Theological Society meeting and attended their session on Genesis chapters 1 and 2. During a panel discussion, some scholars began to openly mock the traditional view. Others assured the audience that Enuma Elish and the like were the key to understanding Genesis. I felt like I was back in Peabody Hall. What was happening? When I left ETS, I was confused. Did the majority of evangelical scholars really believe that the Hebrew text failed to support the traditional view? Did they believe that no one who studies Hebrew seriously believes that God supernaturally created everything in six days? a few thousand years ago? Time for investigation. This experience bothered me so badly that I started doing more research. I knew that modern critical scholars think the day-age view and the more recent framework hypothesis are grammatically untenable from the standpoint of the original author's intent. One of the best Hebraists in the world, James Barr of Oxford University, 
had written in a letter twenty years ago, So far as I know, there is no professor of Hebrew or Old Testament at any world-class university who does not believe that the writers of Genesis chapters 1 through 11 intended to convey to their readers the ideas that a. Creation took place in a series of six days, which were the same as the days of 24 hours we now experience, and b. The figures contained in the Genesis genealogies provided by simple addition a chronology from the beginning of the world up to later stages in the biblical story. I wondered what modern, world-class Hebraists would say about Barr's statement today, so I tracked down several leading experts to ask their opinion. Hugh Williamson is the current Regius Professor of Hebrew at Oxford University. Oxford is perhaps the most prestigious university in the world, and Williamson is one of the top Hebraists anywhere. In an email, he responded, So far as the days of Genesis chapter 1 are concerned, I am sure that Professor Barr was correct. I have not met any Hebrew professors who had the slightest doubt about this. I also emailed Barr's letter to Emmanuel Tov of Hebrew University, Jerusalem. He would be on anyone's list of Hebrew experts. Professor Tov responded in kind, For the biblical people, this was history difficult as it is for us to accept this view. Here was confirmation from a Jewish man who spoke and thought in Hebrew. There is a residential theological research library called Tyndale House, located outside of Cambridge University in England. You can rent a room and literally live in the library. It is perhaps the best such facility in the world. During its history, some of the top scholars have been its warden, the current warden is a young man of encyclopedic knowledge named Peter Williams. He sent a paper to me that said, Although the young universe creationist position is not widely held within secular academia, the position that the author of Genesis chapter 1 maintained that the world was created in six literal days is nearly universally held. I could go on, listing dozens and dozens of names but there is no need. The scholarship is clear. The writer of Genesis chapters 1 through 2 meant the text to teach chronology in terms of normal days. So why would almost the entirety of evangelical scholarship reject the author's intent? When a day is not a day. My inability to find many evangelical scholars who support the traditional view was puzzling for another reason evangelicals' public commitment to the inerrancy of Scripture. The Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, signed in 1978, gives the fullest statement on what evangelicals believe about the Bible. Article 12 says of creation and the flood, We deny that biblical infallibility and inerrancy are limited to spiritual, religious, or redemptive themes, exclusive of assertions in the fields of history and science. We further deny that scientific hypotheses about earth history may properly be used to overturn the teaching of Scripture on creation and the flood. I was confused why many of the signers did not believe in the traditional view of Genesis chapters 1 and 2, so I started emailing people I knew who had signed the document. What I found out was shocking. Henry Morris had proposed the language for Article 12 
and he meant it to exclude long ages and theistic evolution. Many of the signers decided to reject Morris's intended meaning and reinterpret his words in line with their own beliefs. This was the same thing that happened among Bible-believing churches at the turn of the 20th century, during the early rise of modernist theology. Ministers in the Presbyterian Church, for example, would affirm the Westminster Confession, but they would self-interpret the words. So where the Confession said that Jesus is God, the liberal minister agreed, but meant that Jesus had a God consciousness, like any other man. This is theological doublespeak. I'm surprised that evangelicals are stumbling down the same dead-end path that wrecked mainline churches a century ago. Days Ahead I would ask my evangelical brothers some basic questions. If the text of Genesis chapters 1 and 2 does not mean to teach traditional chronology and 24-hour days, 1. Why does Jesus take Genesis chapters 1 and 2 as teaching history? Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, Mark chapter 10, verse 6. 2. Why does Paul take it as history? Romans chapter 5, verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 9, chapter 15, verses 21 through 22, chapter 15, verse 45, and 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. 3. Why do nearly all world-class Hebraists assume that the writer of Genesis intended normal days and the text as history? 4. Why did the ancient, medieval, and modern church, until about 1800, have few commentators, if any, who believed in an ancient universe? 5. Why do all of the ancient translations and paraphrases, such as the Aramaic Targums, take the words at face value and translate them as days, with no hint that they might mean ages, in Genesis chapter 1? 6. Why is there little or no classical rabbinic support for an ancient universe? 7. Why are there well-qualified Ph.D. scientists who still support physical data as consistent with a young Earth view? Nobody has provided me with answers that point to anything but a traditional view of the original meaning. Anyone who says that a closer study of the Hebrew leads elsewhere is simply incorrect. The original intent is plain. A day was a day, from the very first miraculous day. That was written by Judd Davis, a Hebrew language professor. He worked with the world's leading scholars to confirm whether six 24-hour days is the correct interpretation of Genesis chapter 1. The answer you just heard shouldn't surprise anyone. You know, it's sad and it hurts the faith of so many people, but modern churches often compromise on the issue of six days and a literal genesis. Leading apologist Ken Ham described the issue and gives the solution in his book, Six Days. It's a top seller. Get six days at AnswersBookstore.com. You know, Many Christian leaders claim that the fossil record requires millions of years before Adam. An article written by Ken Ham, founder of Answers in Genesis, evaluates how that view stacks up against Scripture. 
The article is wryly entitled, Was Filet Mignon on Eden's Menu? In an effort to squeeze millions of years into the Bible, many Christians today are turning on its head what the Bible teaches about Adam, the Garden of Eden, the first animal's diet, and death's entry into the world. As more and more Christian leaders promote theistic, God-directed evolution, believers need to understand the plain teaching of Scripture. Origin of Death Adam's Sin The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26 To the average Christian, the Bible's depiction of death seems pretty straightforward. Death is an enemy. In other words, it is an intrusion into this once perfect world. We take comfort knowing that in the future, death will be cast into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Also, God promises that one day there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. That's what we would expect from a good God who created a perfect world. At the end of the sixth day of creation, God saw everything He had made, and indeed, it was very good. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Yet we live in a world of life and death, joy and sorrow, love and hate, all at the same time. Only the history revealed in Genesis explains such a seemingly contradictory world. What happened? As a test of obedience, God commanded the first man, Adam, Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Genesis chapter 2 verse 17 In the saddest day in the history of the universe, Eve ate of the fruit and gave it to her husband, who also ate. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 As a result, sin entered the world, and death through sin and thus death spread to all men. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Adam's death was physical, a return to dust. What is the nature of this death? In an attempt to downplay the historical account of Adam, many Christian leaders want to explain away the Bible's first references to death. But the Bible is clear. The path that entered the human race wasn't only spiritual death, separation from God, but physical death. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we read where life came from. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Then God's judgment on sin took away that life. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. This definition of death as a return to dust is confirmed in the New Testament. The first man was of the earth, made of dust, and we have borne the image of the man of dust. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 47 through 49. Job also referred to death in this way. A man would return to dust. Job chapter 34, verse 15. A minister once said to me, I believe the dust referred to in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 represents the animal, ape-like creature God used to form man. 
My response was, well, the Bible states we return to dust when we die, so what animal do we return to when we die? No, when a human dies, that person's body returns to dust. Another church leader once said to me something like, I believe dust to Adam represents molecules to man evolution. I then replied, Well, what does the Bible mean when it says Adam's rib was made into Eve? Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 22. But what does this have to do with filet mignon? Bear with me. Adam and Eve were real flesh and blood humans. This fact of history, that the first woman was made from the man, is confirmed in the New Testament. For instance, man is not from woman, but woman from man. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. And woman came from man. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, Adam describes another specific detail about his wife's physical existence. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Adam's claim is confirmed in two New Testament passages. Quoting Genesis chapter 2, Jesus concludes that all married couples are no longer two, but one flesh. Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 through 6. Paul also quotes the Genesis account of Adam and Eve's union in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Even Malachi chapter 2, verse 15 references Genesis chapter 2 concerning Adam and Eve, who were one flesh. Did he not make them one? What does all this have to do with filet mignon? Continue to bear with me, and it'll become obvious soon. The above is just a summary of Scripture verses to help substantiate that Genesis chapters 1 and 2 are to be taken as literal history, established in other parts of God's Word, especially the New Testament. Adam and Eve were the first two people, real people in history, and the fall was a literal event. Now, to Adam's diet. Original Diet Vegetarian God told Adam to eat of every herb-bearing seed and fruit trees. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. He was originally vegetarian. Some object that God doesn't say he couldn't eat animal flesh, but this objection is easily dealt with by God's words to Noah after the flood. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. Genesis chapter 9 verse 3. We could paraphrase, Just as I have given you the plants to eat, now I have given you all things, everything. This substantiates that Adam's diet was vegetarian. Not until after the flood did God allow humans to eat animals. So Adam certainly did not eat filet mignon before the fall. And if Adam obeyed God, he did not eat filet mignon after the fall. But how do you respond to Christians who don't believe that all this stuff about Adam's diet applies to the animal world? Genesis chapter 1 verse 30, written in the same way as Genesis chapter 1 verse 29, refers specifically to the animals. Also, to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. Genesis chapter 1 verse 30. Just as humans were vegetarian originally, the animals were also vegetarian. Before the fall, 
animals didn't eat animals. Animals didn't eat humans. And humans didn't eat animals. Yet the fossil record, which secularists claim represent millions of years of Earth's history before the first man, includes examples of carnivory, bones from animals in the stomachs of other animals, fish swallowing fish, and teeth marks on bones. The fossil record also includes diseases, such as tumors and arthritis. The fossil record also contains thorns. If animals were vegetarian before Adam's sin, how could animals be killing animals for millions of years before Adam? If God declared His creation very good before Adam's sin, how can it include cancer and other diseases? If thorns came after the curse, after Adam's sin, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 18, how could thorns exist already? Romans chapter 8, verse 22, written in the context of the fall's effects, tells us, We know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. There is no way a Christian can logically and consistently allow for millions of years of animal death, violence, and disease before Adam's sin. No, most of the fossil record is the graveyard of the flood of Noah's day. God created a perfect world, but the world we live in today, with all its disease, death, and violence, resulted from sin. It did not exist this way for millions of years. Taking Genesis as literal history makes it obvious that animals and humans did not die until after Adam's sin. Death is not very good. In fact, death is an enemy. Adam didn't eat filet mignon, nor did any of the animals on earth until after sin. That was written by a man I highly respect, Ken Ham. One of the main reasons he founded Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter was to combat the destructive effects of church leaders who teach that death came before Adam's sin. That's no small compromise. It undermines the integrity of God's Word, the Bible, which claims that God declared His creation very good before Adam's sin. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed these articles, there are hundreds more at our website, AnswersMagazine.com. The links to today's articles are listed in our show notes, and I encourage you to subscribe to receive the magazine in your mailbox every other month. You will love that you're better able to share and defend your faith. I'm Dale Mason, publisher at Answers Magazine, and for the entire team, God bless. Of blood cells in a 70 million year old bone. Alright, Lofty. The dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. With evolution decades. Is your family ago, struggling to find good, wholesome entertainment that actually supports what you believe? Answers in Genesis presents the Creation Museum DVD Collection. As families walk through the Creation Museum, they are amazed by the content and quality of the videos produced exclusively for the museum experience. Now you can own and share 40 of these special videos all on six DVDs. Six Days dramatically brings to life the events of the first week of history, the Tower of Babel, and more. Heaven and Earth highlights the beauty and majesty of God's awe-inspiring handiwork. 
Flood Geology showcases possible mechanisms behind Noah's flood and its tremendous effects on the Earth. Life reveals a planet that abounds with an amazing variety of living things. You'll clearly see the Creator's hand in the world around you. Dinosaurs and Dragon Legends shows that the biblical record and dragon legends from around the world all proclaim man really did walk with the dinosaurs. The Last Adam. The first Adam brought death and suffering into the world. The last Adam, Jesus, brings eternal life to those who receive his gift of salvation. Complete with director's commentaries and other bonus content, this six DVD collection for your home is sure to excite and edify. Provide your family with timeless entertainment that is educational and faith building. To order this exclusive series, visit our website at AnswersInGenesis.org or call 1-800-778-3390.